0: Welcome to the HMO Success podcast. My name's Wendy, and this podcast will help you invest in houses of multiple occupation. Hello everybody, this is Wendy from HMO Success, and thank you very much for joining me for our live interview this week, which is with a fantastic guy who I met a few years ago, who is a prolific property investor, and who I personally have learned a lot from over the years that I've been following him and uh, followed his his journey and his progress. So the person that I'm going to be introducing today is Mike Frisbee. Hello, Mike.
1: Hi, Wendy. How are you?
0: I'm very well, thank you. How are you?
1: Yes, good. Thank you.
0: Great. So Mike, thank you very much indeed for coming onto the podcast today uh, and also onto the video which we're going to be uh, streaming to Facebook. Uh, I really wanted to get you onto the podcast because, you know, I've kind of been secretly following you, but a bit of a secret admirer for a few years. (laughs) Uh, Seeing what you've achieved in property and some of your amazing deals and uh, amazing if you like, ways that you have maximized your deals, the way you've added value to property. I think it's, it's quite extraordinary. So before we get into all of that, though, I'd love to just understand a little bit about you and your background. What first got you started in property?
1: Uh, what first got me started? I, was always, uh, I guess I've always been fascinated by property. Um, I, I guess it all started because I was, I was looking to make money. And it was like, how do I make money? Um, and I kind of thought property does make money but it took me years to find out how property makes money because back in those days there wasn't really an internet and that kind of stuff so it was it was actually quite difficult to um, find out so you, so I just sort of thought well oh but the property's so expensive how can you buy a second property I had my own property but it was like how can you buy a second property I didn't even know about buy to let mortgages I didn't know you could get a mortgage on another property so You know, I've been on a massive learning curve since then. So it was really about, I think property is a good way to make money. Um, And then I went to the property investor show uh, in Excel and uh, I managed to find some people who would help, you know, educate me a little bit. And in those days, it was kind of manual. I think I bought a manual or something and had to read it all. (laughs) None of this online stuff, none of these videos that we can all watch today. So I had to pour through that, and then I started to fathom it out. I did do a little bit of mentoring and coaching, and literally, I just then the the light bulb went off. Um, having procrastinated and sort of for pro- probably five years from the initial idea of buying another property into, and eventually I did. So um, yeah, and it was it was all about I guess increasing my my mo- you know money, and um, I thought this was a good good thing to do. I was always fascinated with. Um, I guess business, and you know, initially it was also stocks and shares and just just making money really being a bit of entrepreneurial. I think I've always been entrepreneurial, so it was that streak that led me into property really.
0: So, what were you doing at the time?
1: So, I was in the corporate world, I was in marketing and strategy. Um, the first property I bought, I was working for Unilever. Um, Unilever does all the brand loads of brands in the supermarkets, so. Um, things like Dove, Lynx, Purcell, Hellman's, Mayonnaise, Marmite, Knorr, Magnum ice creams. So just so many <laughs> brands in supermarkets. And I was in the personal care side. And I just, I did a lot of research on, I did, you know, there was a bit of internet then. And I, I, I did spend some of my working day researching online. Um, I discovered this, these, um uh the, the the people who produce reports and stuff so i i was devouring reading those and and trying to understand and 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 also i was interested in eastern european property as well because that was like the phase of yeah I think that was, was a, that was a big early.
0: thing at some point wasn't it
1: yeah off-plan eastern european because the kind of off-plan had been happening in the uk and they said the next big off-plan big discounts lots of growth was going to be in uh, Eastern Europe. So I was, you know, I was also considering that, um, but, um,
0: And did you, uh, yeah. did you invest in Eastern Europe?
1: I did do one investment in Eastern Europe, <laughs> in the Czech Republic, um, okay. which went okay. And then I exited it pretty quickly. Um, I, I did an off plan. So, yeah. Um,
0: so, so were your first investments kind of vanilla buy to let is that how you, you sort of got started?
1: The very first UK property was actually it was a source deal um, because it was like I just knew I needed to get going um, and I knew I needed to do something that was the best thing I can't have seen. So I had a good return and there was a bit of a discount in it. And the way that the financing was structured meant I didn't need to put a lot of money in. And I just thought, well, that seems OK. Um, uh, so it was a source deal and it was an HMO. It was actually a student HMO for five people. Um, and I and I, I went ahead and bought it. Um,
0: wow, that's great! You see, that's really in- interesting because my very first property was an HMO. This is before the word HMO had even come into parlance. It yeah. was, I think, in those days we just called it a student multi-let. Um, and 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 like you, was I was brand new, let. and yeah, student let. And yes, uh, so I,
1: early on, I bought a few student lets because they gave good income, but I always struggled to find student properties at good prices um if I however if I look back now I wish I'd bought more of them (laughs) not focused on the discount and um recycling they 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 have been some of my best properties so you know it's funny because you know I was very much focusing on discounts adding value recycling cash that was my ethos to begin with and that was what the education was saying at the time they didn't really talk about cash flow I had one eye on it but didn't really have a strong enough eye on it Um, And then the credit crunch came and that all changed and that's how I then got into social housing and then professional HMOs sort of on a mass scale after that. But at the initial time, it was all about buying at a discount and I kind of one of the areas I was buying in was in Guildford in Surrey. And the properties went through the stamp duty threshold. So in those days, it was quite a big step change to go once you went through £250,000. So all of a sudden I was near on 10 grand stamp duty having been sort of more like, you know, two grand. So it was a big jump and that kind of stopped me because it was like, oh gosh, all of that, <laughs> but to buy the same property today would be an enormous amount of money <laughs> in stamp duty because of the 3% and I don't blink much about stamp duty. I just see it's part of the process. So that's that's how it kind of, um, yeah, started and it kind of, then went "Mm, I can't do much more but I do wish I'd bought more in Guildford um, and that I'd stuck in that patch but I headed down south further down the A3 and hit the south coast and the yields were much better and I thought well actually you know the rents aren't that dissimilar but the prices are a lot less and also there's going to be lots of deals and in a way it has done me good as well because I then sourced a lot of deals down there and then that's when I first went frantic I kind of um, if I look back, there's I I kind of work things out, and then I go frantic for a while and then I kind of like pause and mop up the mess a bit and then <laughs> um, and then and then learn something else because again, being a creator, I'm like always looking for I like to stretch myself, learn new things. Um so I've done a lot in property, but actually I have focused in on things, um, you know, not done other things at, at that same time. So um yeah. So that,
0: that's really interesting because I think that a lot of people are always weighing up this uh, the two, if you like, golden geese of property. One is capital growth. Capital growth, you know, how, how wonderful that can be. And also cash flow. And it sounds like in your early days, you were weighing these two up. And of course, capital growth is one of those things that we only see in hindsight. You can't predict where is going to have capital growth. As you say, if you'd invested more in Guildford, now those properties would be worth probably six times, maybe eight times what you paid for them back then. But you weren't to know that. So for people who are maybe, they've got a few properties or they're starting out or they're starting to think about HMOs as an investing strategy, um, how how have you managed to kind of navigate those two, those two seesaw ends of capital growth and and return? I
1: guess, I guess it's it's looking at need as well isn't it i think when you decide where is the emphasis on that seesaw i look at it as i always look at it as a seesaw and you know some people some people are like well i've got a really good job i don't want to leave it so i've got a lot of income if i earn more income out of my properties i'm going to get taxed heavily on it so and i don't need much more money so i want that as a pension pot so that's all focused around capital so i just look at where, where i am where i was in the journey where i was in terms of income cash and outgoings and predicted outgoings and um versus you know and money in the future um you know i I initially i was quite focused on capital because that was the way of property in those days i even heard of people buying you know lots of property up north and not even bothering to um fill them because it was like well they'll double in 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 a few years why am i bothering with a few (laughs) with all these pesky tenants Um, (laughs) Uh, <laughs> so, um, I think they can yeah. So, so, um, it was like, don't need to, because it will just increase and who, who needs to. So there was some really, you know, swing around capital, capital, capital. Um, <clears throat> so initially I was quite focused on capital, a little bit focused on income. Then I realized with the credit crunch, I really needed to switch. And I, since then I've been very focused on the income side, less focused on capital. Um, purely because capital as you say you just don't know what's going to happen and it can go up and down and it can you know so it's almost that's the bonus at the end that's the pension pot that's the uh, that's the for the longer term and just make sure that you can cover everything through all of your income um, in the meantime so
0: yeah
1: um, you know but I have always sort of thought you know where is a good area to invest is there likely to be some capital growth here and tick some of those boxes but it was always really about what is the cash flow out of this property certainly over the last decade it's all been what is the cash flow what is my return on investment of money that I'm leaving in the property and is that good and if that's good that's fine because eventually I'll get that investment back after the property goes up
0: in value So Mike, what about some of the deals that you've done? I would really like to to know from you, um, because you asked me this last week when you interviewed me for your podcast, you asked me what one of my my best deals was and what one of my worst deals was, so I'm going to turn the tables and ask you exactly the same. And this time, you've had no preparation. You were very kind in giving me the questions, <laughs> but I'm just going to shoot these at you and see how you respond. So I'm sure you've thought about this though. What what can you give us an example of? You know, what what's maybe your your best deal? Let's start with the goodie and then we'll get into the the baddie. What was the, what was the best deal you you would consider you've done?
1: Oh, I can't remember all the figures. There's a, there's a couple in mind, actually. I think I've done some good deals over time. Um, uh, but There's a couple in mind. One was a block of flats, of eight, eight flats um, uh, West, in West London, which I bought below value, refinanced, uh, which basically meant I'd hardly put any money into the deal. And obviously today they've gone up a lot in value. Um, and um uh and cash flow very well so um what was the i'm trying to think what the price was so it was the way that i structured it i learned that was a freehold to leasehold i created bought freeholds created leasehold titles um i refinanced um i had had a lot going for it the the seller was desperate to sell and we kind of had a deadline and i was literally I, i just remember the when we completed, it was like, whew, there was a lot of big relief. Um, but it was- So, a very so
0: when, when you converted that into, so presumably you, you took the freehold, you then uh, put leaseholds on all the flats. Did you then refinance per flat?
1: Yes. Okay. So in those days it was very much you refinance per flat and I refinanced it. So I got each flat valued individually, um, refinanced, pulled the money out. Um, it was a good discount in the end. Um, and also it's had good growth in the, in, since then as well. So I'm just trying to think what what I bought it for. I think it was valued at something like 1.25 million um, and I bought it, I bought it for about 9.50, something like that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I think. And it cash flowed from day one and the cash flows just got better and better partly because interest rates have gone right down and, and obviously there's been big demand around there. Um, so i just i remember looking at it and being quite nervous and i just thought i can't let's look at this let's look at plan a Let's like a plan b let's look at plan c how, how can this go wrong it was a bit nervous because it was a million pound purchase it was quite early on in my career um and it was like how do i do all of this and it was through the creative structuring of finance that i managed to pull it all together without utilizing um know too much of my money or anybody else's money in in fact so um i think that was one of my great greatest deals really Um, and
0: do do you think those kind of deals can still be done today
1: you just have to do them in a different way um i've continued to do freehold to leasehold deals um i haven't done one in the last year or so but i certainly did one not so long ago and it it just takes these days it takes a little bit longer um, you just do it in a slightly different way. Um, you know, financing has changed. You know, everything changes in life, doesn't it? As things develop, there's more restrictions that come in, or or things get freer. I mean, it, it you know just goes up and down, doesn't it? So um, you just do deal with what you've got in front of you. But the concept is still there in terms of you know it is difficult for someone to sell a block. And if you can get you know, and if you can find Again, it's also finding a motivated seller um, and, you know, looking at the circumstances of the seller. Um, and that's, you know, that's 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 what you need to do. So I had to work with, you know, and it was kind of the first time that I was finding myself going through all of these title splitting stuff. I didn't, no one was educating me on it. I kind of just fathomed it all out. Talking to lawyers, talking to brokers, talking to all the different people I needed to talk to so that I could pull together a plan and make it all happen. Knowing how much money I had and and everything, and and I timed things in a certain way, and um, you know uh, I was great at structuring deals. So in my early days, I got very very good at structuring deals because um, that allowed me to expand, and also I quite enjoy that. Um, so I'm quite pleased with that deal because of the structuring, of the the, and I guess in a way the boldness
0: yes absolutely the the courage that it took to to put that together and i think it's interesting because you know you've you've been investing in property for in you know, a reasonable amount of time about 15 years or so yeah. so you know you've seen the markets go up and go down interest rates go up and go down uh mortgage lending be very free and then be very restrained and then be very free again And I think when you've been in property for a long time, you you become much more inured to those market changes. You realise that actually property, if you stick with it for the long term, really pays its way. But we have to be prepared to navigate those seas of high waves, low waves, high waves, low waves. And I think for new investors, it can feel very uncertain and fear-mongering that you know there's lots of fear-mongering that goes on about it oh, what's going to happen about this oh, what's going to happen about that but of course my my bottom line I'm, I'm sure this is similar to yours mike is that people always need somewhere to live there's always a demand for residential property and th- at the moment we don't see the population figures in the uk going anywhere other than up so there's always an increased demand and therefore we're always going to be in need uh, as property investors and property developers. The, the, the trick is knowing how to, uh, I think, utilize some of the options that are open and be creative, um, but also not lose too much to the tax man, which is always a threat to a property business is, is, is the tax regime becoming tougher and tougher and tougher.
1: Yes, I, I mean, tax, I, I, that's the other thing I've noticed since I've started investing. And and I always remember when I first started and talked to people who've been investing for a while, it was like, oh, it's so much tougher than it used to be. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, but when you come in, you come into those circumstances. So if you're new into property, that, it's just the circumstances you're dealing with now. So you, I wouldn't worry about it too much. And I have heard people going, oh, well, the tax regime's getting a bit strict. I'm not quite sure what I'll invest. And it's like, well then what else are you going to do? And uh, it still makes money. It's just not as much money as previously, or you need to be smarter with what you're doing. Um, And there's, you know, with every problem, there's always a solution, isn't there? There's always some form of solution. And at the end of the day, the other thing is, is if you have a big tax bill, it's because you've earned some money. Mm. So that's not a bad place to be in.
0: (laughs) You're more worried
1: if you don't have a tax bill, because it means you're not earning anything. (laughs) So, you know... (laughs) You know bite the bullet a little bit of like okay you're gonna to have to pay some tax it's just harder because for us you know if you run a business or you're self-employed you see the money going out in tax when you're employed you don't notice the money because you just feel the money hits the bank account notionally you're paid more but it just goes off to the tax man you don't think you can do much about it so you just accept it you might get a bit annoyed about it but that's all you you kind of do, isn't it? You kind of do that. Whereas for us, where it's very painful because quite often we're having to send money off to the HMRC and pay our tax bills, so we think about it a lot more, and we have more flexibility. So you know, you're better off really being a property investor rather than PAYE because you can't offset much on PAYE. Whereas in, in you know running a business, you you've got legitimate costs you can offset. Um, And you can structure things in the most tax efficient way, you know, through my life, obviously, when I first started buying in my own name, now it's more tax efficient for me to buy in a company. So when I add now, I buy in a company. So you just adapt and change things. So I wouldn't let that stop anyone who's um, thinking of getting into property. You just learn what the, the current method is. And that's why it's really important to get expert advice on on the the different areas of the property um
0: well i think the other thing is that you know if we look back at interest rates 10 years ago the average buy to let interest rate was six and a half percent now the average buy to let interest rate is about two and a half percent so while you now really the best way to do this is through a limited company unless you're doing something possibly like serviced accommodation where you have a different tax regime but for residential property you want to be doing it through a limited company um but actually, even with the limited companies, you know, people say, oh, I'm having to pay 3.9% for my, my mortgage. <laughs> you think, yeah, that's actually nothing compared to what it was 10 years ago. And and even before that, I remember mortgage rates being much higher. And I remember a time when you couldn't even get an interest only mortgage. It was all uh, capital repayment. So that, you know, the, these things ebb and flow and you know, I think long-term property just makes a very, very sound investment. What I'd like to ask you, though, Mike, is we talked about a really good deal. That's a very impressive deal in London. What about a bad deal? Come on, you can share. We're all friends together here. Um,
1: ooh, bad deal. Uh, I guess probably my, the the one the, the, the first one I talked about. Um, probably was was not such a good deal. Um, I don't regret it um, because it got me going in property. Didn't put me off. Um, and what did I do wrong, or what was the le- what were the key learnings? Key learnings, as I said, it was a source deal. So I kind of did I trust the source? So I was a bit sceptical, but I wasn't. I didn't know enough. I don't think to really understand everything about it. So. I bought it, so I did some things right, because I you know, went to view the property, it all looked nice and done up nicely. I was also, you know, it was a student property, it was close to the university, tick the box, you know, all these kind of things, students are lazy. However, the area was not a very nice area, and they, and they said, oh, well, we're buying up a lot of these properties and it's all gonna come up in value. And I was thinking, okay, that will probably be okay. But the students didn't really wanna live there, so it was always hard, so rentability was low. I'm very keen, I think we talked about this last time, I'm very keen on rentability at the moment. That's, that seems to be my phrase, but rentability. And the rentability was pretty low. I also had a rubbish agent. It was attached to the saucer and they were rubbish. They were, they were basically overwhelmed. They didn't have processes and, they didn't, and I didn't know. I didn't kind of really twig all of that. Um, so initially it was fine because when I bought it to safeguard myself, they guaranteed some rent. And then you, I was hoping for the next cycle, but they kind of missed the cycle, so that meant I was what was a five-bed HMO. Eventually, I had about three tenants in, and that's when the problem started. So I never really did. I lose. I didn't make much money out of it in terms of cash flow. I didn't really lose much money out of it because also, what uh, after a while, um, when it starts to get worse, worse and worse, the the interest rates went down, so that also helped. Um, uh, so it was not that great. And also because what happened, they gave me a kind of a bit of a gifted deposit, which meant I didn't have to put much money in. But what I realized over time was HMOs in that area weren't the same as HMOs in another area because they were far more rentable. So they generally were worth a lot more than my HMO. And then if you can't fill it, no one else really wants it, does it? So the value is kind of slipping down. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't worth much, and I knew over time it would, um, it would, um, it would probably come back. But the, it did drop a lot in value um, at the time. Um, but again, as long as you don't have to remortgage or do anything, and you're paying your way with it, which I, I was, and also I, you know, got more experienced. Um, then it's okay isn't it and I guess the learnings were one it wasn't in an area I really knew because it was up north it was in Leeds um near Leeds University uh they were then they then built some big halls up there so it was probably affected by that because being in the worst area you know when the demand's low there um and um you know it, it's like out of sight split out of mind out of it, it just I, I learned then i need to have things a bit closer to me so i can keep control in that way that's the way i manage so a lot of learnings i don't regret it because i've got into property i've got the confidence to get into property and um and you know went down in value in in actual fact i then did a negotiation with the mortgage company because the mortgage company i think that i had it with went bust and they wanted they'd obviously then sold their loan to someone else they obviously sold that loan book very cheaply. And therefore, they just wanted me to redeem the mortgage. And it was like, well, I can't remortgage because, um, sorry. Yes, you're uh, a you know, I, I, I won't be able to redeem the loan. And they went, oh, how much is that then? And uh, we got in, And I just thought, well, do you know what? I could probably remortgage and keep it, but it's our site, it's off strategy. Let's just get rid of it. So I actually sold it. Um, and they wrote off a large chunk of my mortgage um, um, to, to get me to sell it. So, so really I didn't, I didn't really lose any money on it. Um, My purchase price to sale price was a lot less (laughs) off the
0: mortgage. That's great. That's a good solution.
1: It it was a good solution at the time. Mm. So.
0: Okay. um, That, 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 that's great. So I'm I'm interested in this phrase rentability, Mike. So you, you now have a portfolio now, mostly I presume in the Southeast of, of the UK um, you, you've got stuff in London. You've got stuff in this on the sort of south coast and southeast. Who manages your portfolio now?
1: Uh, my team. So I have a letting agency, um, Viva Viva Living, um, and they manage my they manage my portfolio. Um, and,
0: and do you have much involvement in that, or do they tend to get on with it? And
1: they tend to get on with it. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, I've set it up. I don't. I don't. I mean, the big test, really was earlier on this year when I was quite ill and in hospital, you know, I, the whole thing ran without me for that length of time. And then obviously I was still recovering after that and wasn't getting that involved. So the actual amount of time on, um, you know, if I'm not acquiring and if I'm not renovating and just managing and running the portfolio is, is a very small amount of my time. It is actually a very small amount of my time it doesn't mean it doesn't sometimes cause me grief that's slightly different but it is a small amount of my time really physically and my time
0: what would you put that down to is it because you're brilliant at systems is it because you've got a great team is it because you know how to recruit the right people because a lot of people would say oh i wish i could run my portfolio myself but i have to use an agent um but you've done it so what what's that what's the secret to your success Um, Yeah, it's a combination
1: of people and systems, really. I think you need both. You need very good people and you need systems, Um, because if you have very good people who don't know what they're doing, then it doesn't really matter, does it? If There's no clarity into what their role is and what they should be doing, and no tracking of what they're doing. So, you know, as I said, it doesn't take me long. That's because I track what's going on, and then I need to delve into something. I'll say what's going on. So if I You know, I can easily look at what my arrears are. I can easily look at what's empty or coming empty and talk about, well, what's the issue here? Or why is this not letting? Or what do we need to do here? And those are my conversations to do with lettings really. Occasionally around some problem tenant that I might get drawn in on. Um, But the team have quite a lot of experience now, which is good um, because they've been with me for quite a long time. So um, yeah, for me, it's a balance of systems and people really.
0: And it sounds like one of the key things for you is measuring those key performance indicators. You've obviously got some ways of looking at those key figures, the key metrics in your business that give you either confidence or a reason to take action. um, So that you're not doing the day to day, but you're measuring and tracking what's going on.
1: Yes. Yeah, I guess that's my key role in the management side is, is just to keep an eye on what the metrics are doing. And chatting, and then you know you're constantly looking at the metrics, and your team then understands that that's what they're being measured by. So they try and perform towards that, I guess. Um, and if there's a problem, then they need to, you know, that they they it can be identified, and mm. and resolved quickly.
0: And I think, as you say, your experience this year of being poorly for quite a number of months um Was testament to the fact that it can work without you actually being in situ, which is quite powerful uh, test, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was telling myself when I was on the...
0: <laughs> when you're on your deathbed. Yeah, <laughs> this is just a test to see whether Viva testing. can cope without me. Just testing them, just
1: testing
0: him. <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah. So you know, there's all sorts of things you can do, but it. So not only is it the right people, it's the right, the, you know, it's the right, you know, people are different. So put them in the right box. So, you know, if you're, if you're doing the lettings and the viewings, you, you're going to be more outgoing, chatty, you know, enjoy the more salesy type things. If you're doing all of the paperwork or the checking up on, you know, making sure we've got the gas certs, the EPCs, all the compliance to do with HMOs and payments and, re, you know, that's going to be far more processy. Um, you know, paperwork, detail, it's going to be far more detailed. Um, so make sure that you've got that balance or, you know, and the right people doing the right things. Because I often find people go, "Oh, yeah, I'm wanting to bring someone in and they're going to do this, 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 and this. And I'm saying those tasks are completely different skill sets. So you, you'd you be very, very lucky to get one person that can do all of that. Um, and if, they, if, if you do, they probably won't stay with you that long because they'll be that good, they'll be going on to do something else, um, because your fledgling business probably can't afford to pay much, and etc, etc. So um, I'm very into, you know, I have a role, I know the type of character of person that you need, um, and I will recruit that person into that role.
0: So one of the things you mentioned earlier is that you're a creator, and I, and I, I, I understand what you mean by that is really in terms of the wealth dynamics profile, yeah. um, and I know that you've been really interested, as I have, in that the whole uh, arena about personality and utilising your your innate entrepreneurial skill to maximise what you do and not to try and do things that you are not naturally good at. Um, so, can you say something a bit more about that and how you've used that in your business, Mike?
1: Yeah so i mean as a creator you like to well you like to master well you like to do you like to develop and grow and do new things and it's about future forward looking and you're great at solving problems getting things going but you're less good once you've got everything going to actually run it so my skill is not in running a property portfolio um i did try for a while and actually i did do it for far longer than I should have done. And that, that held back my growth, to be honest, because I was doing the things that I wasn't so good at, not enjoying it so much, not doing it so well um, before I got people in to help me. But um, where were we going with this? What so so by understanding that, then when I get support, I know I what I need in someone who's going to support me. So as a as a person with my characteristics, I need someone who's going to support me and support me well. Um, I can be good at communicating at times. I can be absolutely really terrible at communicating sometimes. So my ideas, my drive, my innovative thinking needs to be funneled through someone who's gonna help me then implement it. Otherwise I could have all the ideas in the world and they never get implemented. And an idea that's not implemented isn't very powerful at all. So I need someone sort of helping me implement things um, to the side. So I'm a great believer, as you said, of wealth dynamics. And they talk about having a i guess a stool and a creator needs certain people they need a, a supporter my pa is a supporter and then i and then you have a, um, an accumulator um and i've got an accumulator lord also in my team and they were kind of they're my kind of core cogs and they all do their different roles exceptionally well um because they fitted in so we all work in a good good balance so um Mm
0: -hmm. i think i think in most teams really one creator is about all what most teams can cope with
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and this is where i also find people tying up you know they start going network meetings and they find another creator and they go wow we've all got the same visions and we've all got this oh we've got the same mindset this is brilliant let's go into business together that doesn't work at all no um (laughs) Because uh, there,
0: there's no complementary skills no com- or approach, is there? Yeah, there's
1: no balance. And um, I'm quite a creator-creator, so I'm quite far out in that spectrum. Um, so I do need that other that, that other stuff. But then people are surprised because uh, one of the secondary natures of a, of a creator is a mechanic. And, you know, you get a lot of ideas. So a creator will get a lot of its source ideas and solutions from data and from you know stats and you heard me talk about kpis and stuff like that so a mechanic actually is quite into the technical bit and can do detail a creator can do detail actually and can pick up detail and actually can spot imperfections in detail. or i can anyway imperfections in detail quite quickly if i put my mind to it but it's you've got to be in that in that mode so um you know, don't don't get me wrong. Is to like, can I do? You know, I can do detail and I remember things. So I just do it in a different way, maybe to a lot of other people.
0: Well, um, I, I suspect that probably the way your mind works is more that how is this data actually going to help me? How is it going to serve me? How is it going to make me create something of value? So for me, one of the, the things that I, I like to look at and like to keep an eye on is some of the facts and figures around the property market, the property industry. So I'm, I'm looking at data around employment and unemployment. I'm looking at data around government borrowing. I'm looking at data around other statistics, which I think help me to become a better investor because it helps me to understand what's going on in the economy and what's going on with the housing market so there is a purpose behind that that data-driven interest uh, it's not for its own sake uh, it's not to crunch the numbers it's not to become a statistician which will be somebody who's maybe more of a lord or an accumulator but it's really to, to serve uh, to help me to create more so yeah. I, I think I think there's an element in which some of that is really about helping you to be a to to, to you know feed into your own desire to do deals to, to create deals, to understand what's happening in the market, and so on.
1: Yes, and also to unpick things. Um, you know, I think I'm very, you know, I am, a, I am creative, but I'm also very solution-focused. And in order to provide solutions to problems, you need to delve into them quite a bit. So you have to unpick things, and you do have to get into the detail at some sometimes. And I think that then solves things. You know, you know on my whole social housing, it's all done on, done on the detail, And so I got into the detail um, and, you know, unpicked all of what that meant. And then I had to take what I learned and implement it. No one was telling me how to implement this stuff. So a lot of people who then come on my courses and stuff, obviously I'm showing them how to implement it. I had no one to show me how to implement a lot of that stuff. I had to go about and just do it. But that's the challenge. That's, That's the excitement for me as a creator. You're doing something and inventing something new. And learning as you go along. But you need the detail. You need to be living and breathing it and delving deep. That's the other thing. Delve deep and narrow into whatever you're doing to master it and master it. And if something goes wrong, you learn, you tick and you improve it and go again and see how that runs and then go again and slowly improve and um, keep improving it. I guess that's that's the difficulty as a creator because we want to change things too much. Um, whereas the rest of the team are like, just leave it be. Please. Yes. Please, please, please leave it be. So, you, you, you know, we're working on a different pace to other people because we're already thinking of the next thing before we probably implemented the last thing in terms of, it, you know, even on a process change, you know, we will be thinking of how to improve, you know, we've just decided, right, we need to change this in the process. So once we've decided that, we think that will automatically get implemented and we're thinking of how to improve it again the next time. And of course, the other the team members are still trying to catch up with the fact that you've changed it, and I'm wondering what you're doing. So, um, yeah, I have you have to, I have to slow down in some areas. I have to speed up in other areas, um, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not quite sure where we're going with this, but. Uh,
0: well, it's interesting because it's it. all about people, isn't it? And one of the other things that you've done since you've sort of systemized and got a team is to develop training and mentoring programs for other people who want to mm. invest in property. Um, you, you know, you, you I, I think I first met you at a PIN meeting when you were talking about your social housing strategy. Um, two by two, is that what you do? Yeah, yeah two, 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 strategy. two by two. Yeah. Um, do you still do that, by the way?
1: I still do that. Yeah. I still right. train. I'm still do it. I still have tenants that um, I've had for years. I mean, some of those tenants just remain with you for a very, very long time. Um,
0: yes.
1: You know, and I look at some of the deals, it's funny. So probably some of the properties that I talked about and I look at them now and I'm going, well, I've probably got the same tenants as when, <laughs> I, when I presented to you. Um, uh, so yeah, they're, they're, that, they that, that then makes it and that's what i mean again in terms of rentability if people aren't moving out it's obviously extremely rentable um or or they're they're kind of like they're they're, they're there and they're happy or um so which is fantastic so I, I still do it you know i've got a balanced portfolio i always you know remain balanced as we see through the, the time um so that's been proven good in the you know in the terms of the pandemic you know the government still continues to pay so they continue to pay and they're not likely to, you know, they don't have a job to lose, so um, that that's good. Yeah, um, yeah. Whereas, obviously, if you've got some professional tenants, they might be losing jobs in these times and having difficulties and, and etc. Um, and again, it's quite an intricate little system, um, but can be done if you know and understand it.
0: But property is very much a people game, isn't it? And I think that, you know, while the data and the maths and the figures and the stats are all very important, and I think you've got to know your numbers on a deal, you've got to understand how to crunch the numbers, you've got to understand uh, the cost of a refurb, for example, to be able to really calculate whether you're going to add value and whether you're going to pull money out of a deal. That mathematical ability is is something which I think you develop much more of as you start to do property, because you have to have that skill. But I think ultimately property is actually about people. Because as you say, it's about finding the right vendors, the people who are motivated to sell. It's about finding the right tenants. While you might not be doing it, you might have a team, but then you've got to find the right team. And what I've always felt is that uh, if you miss the people element in property, you're, 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 you're probably not achieving what you could be achieving because people give you the leverage. Um, there, there must have been times, though, when you've also been maybe frustrated by working alongside people and thought, oh, just, you know, I wish you oh, yes. were yeah. better or quicker or something. Um,
1: yeah. So people are brilliant. People are terrible. So, um, you know, and that, that's probably been my lig- biggest mistake and biggest learning to date is, is, is that people management side. You know you talk about you know what my worst deal and comparison probably doesn't um compare into you know some of the people issues that i've hated to, to deal with so um the property doesn't talk back Property doesn't have feelings so <laughs> uh, and the will of its own so um i i know that you know i, I leave it there and it's going to be there when i come back in 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 a year's time i still know my property is going to be there whereas people just do their own thing don't they um,
0: but you but you achieved... do like you do like mentoring and training people don't you you've got quite yeah, a good, crowd man. of people that you that you help so that you know they they must they must see something in you mike which they think yeah actually you know uh we we want to work with you uh we want to learn from you
1: yeah i but i enjoy i enjoy i think there's a very different thing about having a an employee and having you know working with someone who's mentoring you know that that is a totally different in a, in a way a different relationship isn't it of course when you when you're employing someone you help and coach and do all of those things but you know um working with a with a mentee or a, you know training people it is a different different thing to having them carry out tasks and you know you're sort of going why why are you doing
0: that <laughs> yes, um, <quite>. and,
1: um, <laughs> uh, you know and, and dealing with a whole load of rubbish that, that can, could come with it so um yeah and 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 i guess um yeah being being on top of it all and confronting it and managing it and doing all of that it just taken me a while to learn some of those skills
0: i think mm-hmm. probably. interesting so let's just look forward then finally to you know the next kind of 12 14 months uh what, what do you think 2021 has in store for- for, for us in the property industry, but for you personally as well, what, what plans, what ideas, what goals have you got for next year?
1: Um, well, 20, 2021, let's, let's segment it out. What's gonna happen in the property market? I think, I think there's gonna be some good opportunities in the property market next year uh, in 2021. Um, why? Because I think there's gonna be um, less demand. For, for properties next year. A lot of people have bought their purchasing plan forward because of the stamp duty holiday that's currently here. So there was a pent up demand and then that's also swept people to carry out a purchase now as opposed to maybe they were thinking next year or maybe they were thinking of waiting. Um, so they just got it getting on with it. So there's gonna be, I think, although there's probably also people have put their houses on the market, but there's always gonna be reasons people need to sell. Uh, uh, death divorce debt always comes to mind Mm -hmm. um that's all going to continue isn't it next year so therefore there's going to be some motivated sellers um and i should imagine landlords will come into that as well um that therefore i think there's going to be some good deals next year so i think the market the volume will just drop whether the market will drop or not not sure but what will happen is i do believe that there will be what you want, which is hopefully the market won't drop too much, but there will be deals that you can have um, that have dropped. And that is almost the perfect marketplace for an investor to get involved in. Um, so, with that in mind, I've spent a lot of this year structuring myself to take advantage next year. So, um, I've just launched a property investment fund. Um, And we're out raising money currently for that property investment fund to deploy over the next two years um, where we will be buying uh, large blocks of flats. And it's also where I've got this whole rentability because I've been doing a lot of analysis to work out what we should be buying, where should we be buying it, what should we be doing, what is our strategy behind all of this? And hence why I'm now very much in this, if I look back, the rentability is key and the good areas are key because not only do you get that, key rentability quite often you get the capital growth with it as well and to exit at the other end is going to be far far easier as well so we're we're it's a play to hold for 10 years um essentially it's a 10-year lifestyle. we are buying for two two and a half years keeping and then selling out for two to three years um so that that's the play and we're we're raising um and and so we're so you know over the next few years i hope to have a lot of properties Within the fund and under management, we're we're looking, we've got some big ambitions. And uh, part of that is also um, branded living. So I want to bring in, you asked me what I used to do. I used to do branding and strategy. So I feel there's a place for brand uh, within the marketplace. So obviously we have brand, state agent brands, but we don't have home brands that much. There's like fizzy living, this kind of thing. So I'm thinking, we need to create environments that are attractive to for our tenants to live in. So we're going to create, you know, we we talk a lot about co-living, whereas I'm not sure, especially with the pandemic, whether co-living is really what we need. What we, what I feel we need is community living is creating a community. So still have flats and everything like that. So we'll be buying blocks of flats, but creating a community in those blocks. So we'll be buying the whole blocks, creating a community within that and within buildings and branding it up and also providing extra services and spaces and things within those buildings to really up the kind of delivery of living if you see what I mean Mm. Um, and also with everyone suffering you know a lot through mental health mental health is coming to raise so that's part of developing that community to really help all of that side and there's going to be a a give back side to all of that as well Um, so that's quite exciting because it's we're talking quite a lot of money. We're talking um, with are sort of really scaling up. We're looking we we're, we're looking to raise two hundred million, and um, we'll hear that as well. So we'll probably have, you know, around five half, half a billion of, of property, um, and then we'll go again and again. And so over the next that few years, we plan to take uh, quite a lot of properties. And but you need that scale to get the branding to get the all of that management feel right. Um, so that's quite exciting. So as I said, I think we're coming in at a good timing. We've just got to um, continue with the raising of the financing, the r- raising of the money. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my big property play for the next uh, few years. Great. And in terms of, and I will continue with the, the training, mentoring and things, because I'm just, I just really enjoy it. And um, doing more of these types of things. Obviously I'm, I'm launching my own, podcast and i just enjoy like you chatting to people on these kind of things so i enjoy taking part and i enjoy hosting them and we'll continue to do those kind of things and, and when does
0: your podcast launch mike
1: so my podcast is launching what is the date it's, it's very very soon um we can
0: give actually, it a bit of a plug on the show today
1: yeah it is actually on the 26th of november
0: Woohoo! so Excellent. that is
1: going to be the first we're releasing a few episodes together um, and that's going to be the, um, yeah, the launch, the Property Business Accelerator podcast. Property
0: Business Accelerator podcast.
1: So we're talking about property and business. I guess a little bit about you, but it's there's going to be some business content as well as property content. Um, like yourself, I'm talking to all these different people in the industry, um, but I'll also be talking to business people and focusing on business because I believe property is a business and you need to Absolutely. treat it as such if you want to. Do it at scale. So once you get over a handful of properties, it's no longer like a hobby, a side investment. It needs to be treated like a business. So those are the kind of people that I like working with. I can help people get going if they want to. But really, the inter, you know now that where I am, um, I really like helping people who know quite a bit, but we I can really accelerate their journey.
0: Yes, absolutely, um, and 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 help them to scale and and presumably then systemize and outsource so that they can then. Uh, benefit from the the income um but not have to manage the day-to-day just as you yeah been. i'm often helping i
1: guess i'm often you know a lot of the a typical person i might be helping is someone who wants to get out of their job into this full-time or has indeed just stepped out into full-time and like going, what what help you know or <laughs> yes. um you know we, i need to do this or i need to continue to grow otherwise there's going to be some issues somewhere you know motivated people um, but know that they'll get a lot of value and they know that it's worth it. And, and I also know that they're going to do quite a lot as well. So that, that's quite good. Yeah. All circumstances have changed and it gives them an opportunity to focus on property for a while. Um, it's probably my typical customer um, or, or someone who might be running their own business and then can tackle us on quite easily. So, fantastic. Yeah.
0: Great. Well, we look forward to that. I know that's going to be a great podcast where well, you've got some very good guests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, listen, Mike, thank you ever so much indeed for your time today. It's been very interesting getting to know you a bit more about some of your, your background, your history. And I'm glad that you are now fighting fit and back to full health. I presume you are. You look very well. You look very well and healthy. How are you feeling uh, no, now? No,
1: I'm still, i still, still, still suffering. suffering. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my lungs are still not, it's very, yeah, I couldn't, I mean, you're, you're a keen runner. I, I'm struggling to sort of do any of that so it, it still is it's a slow slow burn mm-hmm. um it's not helped by the fact gyms have you know for a long time I probably wasn't in a position to really do it and just as I was getting back into it um you know gyms are all now shut down again and um I also went over on my ankle and twisted my ankle so that that was a good start. Oh, I hobbled for a while but my lungs now, I still cough quite a lot, and um, certainly still get short of breath. Even you know, I'm doing a lot of walking, and um, you know, at the end of that, I will still be uh, quite out of breath. So yeah. it's it's a, it's going to be a long slog. But but essentially, I'm okay. You know, I can operate day to day. Yeah. But I want to get back to that. You know, health yeah. health goes into performance and wealth and how well you're feeling. So
0: it does.
1: Um, yeah. So definitely need to focus on that a little bit.
0: Great. Well, look if you if you can't join me running the London Marathon next year, you can sponsor me instead.
1: Yeah. Okay. That, <laughs> that, that, that's the deal. I I, did, I have run it once, and so once was enough.
0: Yeah. I know. I, I must admit I ran it once in, in twenty uh, when was it twenty nineteen and said never again, and then I entered again in the ballot, and I'm hoping I'll get in, but we'll wait and see. I'll let you know. Mine was now. a
1: very long time ago. It was in it was twenty years ago.
0: Well, it's still good to have the medal. You can still say you I've did it. I've still got a medal. <laughs> exactly. It
1: was the year two thousand. So it was a good year fantastic!
0: To take. Absolutely, and it just proves that you're a marathon player. Whether you, whether you're a runner or you're a property investor, you're you're a marathon man.
1: Marathon man. Yeah, you, do, you need persistence when you're in this game. You do. You, you absolutely you do.
0: Absolutely. And, yeah. And, very very similar mindset to running. Yeah. It really helps me with with business as well because it gives you that that uh, persistence mindset yeah
1: Great. it probably clears the mind a little bit I think as
0: well. absolutely it's very very good very good brilliant well listen Mike thank you very very much indeed it's been really interesting listening to you and hearing from you and uh, I know that there'll be lots of people who'll be listening who'll be inspired by your journey inspired by your story and uh, I'll put your contact details underneath the post as well so that they can contact you if they want to maybe to learn more about the fund or learn more about your mentoring and training business as well yeah brilliant Thanks very much indeed.
1: Good to have you on. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the HMO Success podcast. If you'd like to know more about how you can create a profitable HMO business, please visit our website, hmosuccess.co.uk to find out more. We have plenty of free tools and information for you there. And also on our Facebook group, The Ultimate HMO Success System. We look forward to connecting with you very soon. Thanks for listening.